Thank you. Good morning. Good to uh, worship with you all today. And man, what a um, lovely and energetic uh, set of worship songs we had. Uh, I just want to encourage you, make sure you come out a little early, get a cup of coffee before service, um, take care, you know, say hi to the few people and then come and just, man, every song that is prepared, they do such a great job and uh, make sure you join in on that. You know, as a, the year is coming to an end and we have a, a, a few days left before the, the new year. 2023. And I don't know about you, but for me, this year it seemed like it was just extra fast. And I, I wonder if it's maybe because COVID was so slow, right? It was uh, nothing to do, no sports to watch. Remember those days? And uh, it seemed to have gone so slow. And maybe our kind of clocks had slowed down and assumed that a year would take this long. And then the normalcy of how things were is back this year. And then it's like, it seems like it just sped up and went by so fast. And, and time is going by so fast. And there's something for us to consider today. You know, we're at a section in, in Genesis where now we read briefly about the, the death of Abraham. His life is over. And so we've been trekking and going along and reading about Abraham and Lot and Sarah and the covenants and all of these wonderful uh, stories about his life. And then it's over now. And so we, I can't help but to just pause and ponder about how life keeps going, how short life is, um, how life is not something that is repeated or paused or slowed down. Um, it is Dale Carnegie who used the illustration of an hourglass and the thousands of pieces of sand that is going through the hourglass, and there's nothing that could impede it. It just keeps going and going. And again, this is a new year and it's a time for us to reflect. And so today we pause and we think about this. And we look at the life of Abraham. We look back on the last year. And maybe, I'm sure there are some of us or many of us who have maybe lost a loved one. Lost a friend or an acquaintance or coworker or someone you know. And you, you think back about them. A lot of times when you watch someone famous who is maybe... Um, dealing with a disease or knowing that their death is more imminent and they share these messages about what is important and uh, those are always kind of inspirational things to watch. And if Abraham were to be able to share a message with us and if we were to put a, an iPhone in his face and say, can you tell us, uh, can you tell us what is important in life? I wonder what he would say. Uh, what we do have today and we're going to be doing something a little different, we have a lot of scriptures in the New Testament that talk about Abraham's life. It is like a, a, an account of his life. And so we're going to look at what the New Testament says about Abraham and his life. And we're going to ga gather some life lessons. A life that is well lived. In life, it is not just the quantity that matters so much, but it is the quality. It is how fulfilled we are in life. And all of us are looking for this. Abraham lived a life, and the Bible describes it as uh, in, he died of a good old age, an old man full of years, and he was gathered to his people. He lived a good life. What did he do? What was his life like? As I was preparing for this, I, I had all these uh, thoughts, and I gathered it down to three major thoughts for us to remember, uh, us to think about it. In my study, I ended up coming across Romans 12, 12. And it really summed up those points about Abraham's life 
If he were to say, this is my life verse, he would look forward to Romans 12 and he would say, that, I think, encapsulates all that is important in life. In Romans 12, 12, as we read, it says, rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. And those three points there sums up a description of his life according to the writers in the New Testament. And we're going to take a look at that. It says here, first of all, to rejoice in hope. Abraham lived a life where he rejoiced um, in hope. He was a man of hope. I hope that you are filled with hope. If you are to gauge your hope, kind of like your uh, gasoline gauge in your car, I hope it is full. I hope the light is not on where you are thinking, I am hopeless. Life is hopeless. I'm just barely getting by, but I hope that it is full, not because you have a disposition that is positive, not because you are an optimistic person, not because you are a social person, but simply because of the faith that you have in Jesus Christ. Hope has a name in Jesus Christ. Abraham would, I'm sure, say that hope, living with hope, looking forward to something greater and better, uh, made his life so good in this way. Uh, in Hebrews chapter 11, he is described, there's a description of Abraham, and verse 8 and 9 describe kind of what he had to give up. And it says this, by, Abraham, uh, by faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called out to go to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out, not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. And then verse 10 tells us why he was able to do that. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. Now let's go back. You go back to verse 8 and verse 9. He was to go to a place that he didn't know. Verse 9 tells us he was going to go live in a land, a foreign land. I don't know if you've been to a foreign land it's one thing to go there simply to visit or on vacation, but it's a whole other thing if you had to go and live there. Where you don't know the language or the culture or your way around. You don't know how, you know, even like paying something with money. You know, the times that I go out of our country, I cannot figure out the money if I'm supposed to multiply it by a hundred or divide it by a thousand. And so I end up just holding up a lot of money and say, okay, how much, you know? I remember in Japan all the time, I'd be like, how much? And I rely on the honesty of the person. They would just kind of giggle and take the money out of my hand, right? And you can imagine how you can imagine how difficult it must have been, how inconvenient, how he must have longed for home. And he lived in this way. Not only did he live in a foreign land, he lived in tents. Some of you are campers. Others of you have some. Uh, you know, share common sense with me, right? I don't, I don't want to go be intense, right? If you think about that. And you might do that for a few days, and it's fun if you do that for a few days. But he was living like that, and that was his home. You can't keep the elements out. And the last time I went camping, I went my senior year of high school. And a few friends of ours, we decided it would be great during spring break to go camping. And this is a time where we didn't have many resources, and we didn't even have... Uh, you know, uh, the uh, foresight to look at the weather, but we said, oh, we're going to go at spring break, we're going to go camping. 
One friend had a tent, one friend had an SUV, and we said, we'll figure it out when we get there. And we went to the uh, campground, and now the forecast had rain all day. And it was like, you know how rainy it was last Saturday, Sunday? It was like that on the day that we arrived. So we get to the camping spot, the worker's not there, not one person's there, and we're like, we have the whole place to ourselves, right? And so we set up this tent, and we were, it was a four-man tent, there were six of us, and we were fighting who gets to go in the tent, because it was one tent. And so I made my way in, I got into the tent, and three others, and we were so excited, and the two guys that lost had to sleep in the car. Well, we wake up at two in the morning, and the tent was, it was filled with water, it was raining all night. And so our sleeping bag is all wet now. And now we're fighting over who gets to go into the SUV, right? And they're locked the door, and we're like, let us in. And they're like, you can't come in. You know, we don't want you in here. Um, when he said he lived in tents, I hope this doesn't come across as something cool or neat or fun. This was very difficult. The tents that he had then would barely just give him shade over the sun. It wasn't even as sophisticated as what we have today, what you would buy at REI or whatnot. And so here he is, living this difficult life. How is he able to get by? Because he had hope. And verse 10 says, He was looking forward to the city that has foundations. His designer and builder is God. He was looking forward to being in the place. The city that has foundations and whose designer and builder is God. He wasn't so excited about what he can have here on earth. He wasn't so thrilled and he wasn't so looking forward to it. He wasn't so short-sighted that he said, all I care is if I can have a a new build or a custom house. And uh, if you're like me, you love watching those reveal shows where they take a a beat-up house and they make it look so nice. And uh, me and Sharon, we like to watch those shows. We say, wow, that's so nice. And, you know, look how nice it is. Abraham didn't look forward to just having a nice house or a bigger house. What did he want here? He wanted, and he was looking forward to where the designer and builder was God himself. And so, for example, when Lot took the better land, it wasn't a big disappointment for him. Because it wasn't like he was so wanting to live in a particular area. He says, I'm still looking forward. I he is a man of hope. He put his hope in God. And it is even Nietzsche who said that he who has a why, quote-unquote, why to live, he who knows what the why of their life is, can endure any how they ought to live. If you know why, if you have a hope, and you are looking forward to a hope, what we go through today is all something we can endure. And this is what he lived with hope. Hope is different than just wishing. Wishing is just something in our imagination. Wishing is just uh, thinking that something might go better, knowing that it probably won't. Hope has a sense of certainty. Abraham wasn't just a wishful thinker. He wasn't just say, I wish, but he knew when he had this kind of hope what was to come. It is J.I. Packer who says that There is an ethic of hope that pervades the whole New Testament. When you read the whole New Testament, it is all about hope, all about the future, 
all about Jesus coming back for us, all about being with the Lord in heaven, all about God answering our prayers, and it is about hope. And so we would say that Abraham lived with hope. So for 175 years, he was able to continually look forward with hope. And so when it is all said and done, as we get here to our reading today, he arrives at the place of hope. A place where even death and the, and the grave cannot conquer. It is the hope of being with the Lord. Um, it is even in Job, that very famous verse that we know in 13.15, Though he slay me, I will hope in him. Uh, so we are people that live beyond the things that we can see with our own eyes. We live with this kind of hope. And I want to encourage you today to be a person that does not, does not look back in your life all the time or just look at the present circumstances Gauge, oh man, this, this time I have this much, but last year I had that much, and just looking at that. But to always look forward, to be a man or a woman of hope, that it will get better, not because of me, but because the one I hope in is there. That you will be a man and a woman of hope, and you would continually look forward, knowing that ultimately everything will be okay. And this is how Abraham lived. The second life lesson, that fulfilled his life uh, that I want to share with you from Abraham, I believe, is he lived a life of patience in tribulation. It says in Romans 12, 12, be patient in tribulation. So first of all, there is an assumption that there is some tribulation or hardships in life. Life in itself is hard. Anyone who's lived long enough understands that. And so it is many times that the older person would look at a child and say, I, I envy you. I envy that child because you run around and, boy, life is good. Not a worry in the world, we would say. But as we have lived life and the scars now start to show and the heartaches of life and the trials that we don't expect, the bad news of life just, just really smacking us in the face, the hardships, Losing loved ones, hearing news about health concerns, uh, financial hardships, things at work not going so well, and being mistreated by people, um, disharmony at home, or whatever it is. And we, we've all faced it, and we could sit here and talk about it. And this message is always relevant because life is so hard. But it is in tribulation. How did he deal with this? It says in Romans 12, 12, be patient. Be patient. The word phrase, be patient, it literally is, uh, is a combination of two words. It means to remain under. Remain under. It's the idea of being under pressure and to remain there, not to slip out of it. And not to say, I give up on it, it's too hard. But to remain under this trial. So when he says be patient in tri tribulation, stick it out. Hang in there. Persevere. Don't give up so quickly. And Abraham is described in this way. He's described by the testing that he had faced. Hebrews eleven seventeen. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. 
Hebrews 6, 15, and thus Abraham, having patiently waited, obtained the promise. You could sum up his life that he patiently waited. Some of us patiently wait. Others of us just wait, but very impatiently. Uh, I don't know about you, but we could often test our patience and how we respond to different things. Every time I skit and I have to pick a line at the grocery store, I am calculating to the best of my ability to see which line will be the shortest. And um, I'm like, well, that grandma looks like she might pay with a literal check. That's going to take a while. Oh, they have a lot of kids. That might take a while. Okay, you know, it's better to just do self-checkout. It's faster. Right? I don't know about you, but I, I don't know if you've ever done this, where you cannot even wait. Remember, the, some of us were around when the microwave first started coming around. You were able to have a microwave oven. Right? It sped things up. Instead of an hour in the oven heating things up, you could do it in three minutes and two minutes, and you thought it was wonderful. Now we are impatient. And I don't know if you've ever done this. I speak kind of by experience, right? You put something in the microwave, and you push one minute, but you're so impatient. And you pull the door open before it even beeps. 30 seconds in, you pull it out, you go put it on the table, you take a bite. Oh, it's still cold on the inside. What do you do? Put it back in, restart it, and you're waiting. Oh, just 10 seconds, you pull it out again, taste it. Oh, it's still cold. Do it one more time. By the time it took 10 minutes, but you could have just left it in there, and then you put it out, and the kids are like, Dad, it's cold. Just eat it, you know? Just eat it. It's okay. Or I don't know if you've ever done this. You get to an intersection, and it's a red light, and you've heard some theory from someone that if you link your high beams at this light, it will change colors from red to green, and you're flashing the light, and you're saying, yeah, it's supposed to work. Maybe it does. Maybe it doesn't. But if my high beam light bulbs go out in my car, it is because I catch myself. I need to go to the market to buy food where I have to wait in line to bring back the microwave quickly, right? So I need to go. Uh, one pastor did a, a survey, um, and they surveyed um, several thousand people. And then they asked them, what was their one source one source where they grew spiritually the most. And it wasn't what many people thought. It wasn't simply being in a, a great small group. It wasn't reading some deep book, of a secret book. It wasn't a, a conference or listening to someone. It was suffering. The number one thing that people mention of how they grew they say they grew when they faced the suffering. It led to character. It led to a, a knowledge of Jesus Christ, what he went through. It was suffering in this way. And oh, we are called. How we are called to be patient in our suffering. To wait. And to know that God is here and God is waiting The Bible says love is patience. Oftentimes the word patient can be translated long-suffering. It is patience. And we're waiting on God. There's a poem um, that I just want to read for us. Uh, just a little 
It's a little bit longer, uh, but I just want to read this for us. Uh, Pierre Chardin has written this, and I, I thought this really sums up what we're trying to say here. Above all, trust in the slow work of God. We are quite naturally impatient in everything to reach the end without delay. We should like to skip the intermediate stages. We are impatient on being on the way to something unknown, something new, and yet it is the law of all progress that is made by passing through some stages of instability that it may take a very long time. Only God could say what this new spirit gradually forming within you will be. Give our Lord the benefit of believing that his hand is leading you and accept the anxiety of feeling yourself in suspense and incompleteness. Trust in the slow work of God. In our modern day, whether it is wanting fast food or overnight delivery or your self-checkout, whatever it is that we are looking for, we are in a rush. And oftentimes it is in our spiritual lives as well. We just want the quick, easy way. How do I get from point A to point B? How do I get him or her in my life to go to stage A to point B? How do I get him there quickly as possible? And yet that process often is slow. How do I get through this suffering as quickly as possible? We might be asking God, it's not the time, but it is he who teaches us a long journey. Sometimes it's a slow journey, and we are learning to wait. Prior to the invention and the uh, use of the light bulb, they say that the average person prior to the light bulb slept an average of 11 hours. Because without the light bulb, you can't do anything. You're just sitting in the dark. Just think about that. And now everything has lights, and we're up, and our brains are wired, and we are overly stimulated, entertained, connected. And now we think, 11 hours? How lazy is that? (laughs) How are you going to get anything done in life? How are you going to graduate on time? How are you going to get to work? How are you going to do A, B, C, and D? And yet that's how people live before the light bulb came about. And it is in the midst of that that we learn patience. It's in the midst of hardships that it is okay to slow down. It is okay to now wait patiently because we are going to wait. There are so many Psalms and so many people in the Bible that often cry out so many times, how long, O Lord? How long, O God, is this going to happen? How long are you there? And we resonate with that because we want God to act quickly. We want Him to act instantly. We want things to get heated instantly. We want the light to change to green right away. We don't want an obstacle in life right now, God. And God says, just wait. You can imagine after 175 years as Abraham is waiting. And he is learning this lesson. And that somehow God is at work through this process. And the third lesson we see here, uh, the life lesson from uh, Abraham that we see from Romans 12.12, is be constant in prayer. 
be constant. It could also be translated steadfast towards, to endure, and that enduring going towards something or someone. So if you're trying to finish a paper or you're trying to finish a degree and you're this constantness, this, this continual, or you're, you're trying to develop a relationship and it's, a, it's an ongoing relationship. And I want to tie that into that Abraham, you see in James 2.23, is described as a friend of God. Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness and he was called a friend of God. And you might be thinking, isn't that kind of a loose connection? You're going from prayer to friend of God. How how do we make that connection? To be a friend of someone, what is the number one thing it takes to be a friend? It is communication. So when we are now talking, when we are reading here, and it says, be constant in prayer, it's not, we're not just talking about Oh, some spiritual exercise that you don't do enough of and you feel guilty about and you should go and go to the mountains or go or wake up early and pray. And it's not even the formality or the religious act of prayer, but it's the act of a friend. The only way you can be friends with someone is through communication. You cannot be friends if you do not have some form of communication. And the more that you communicate... The frequency of your communication dictates how close you are. All of you probably have some very close friends. They can call you at one in the morning if they had to. There is nothing that they could do that's so embarrassing that you would unfriend them. These are your friends. How did you get there? It took hours and hours and hours of friendship. So it says, be constant in prayer. When Paul writes in 1 Thessalonians 5, pray without ceasing. It is not so much that he wants you to walk around and uh, act as the Pharisees and pray in the marketplace, in the public courts, on the street corners, and to pray to display your quote-unquote spirituality. No, he's saying be connected to God. And out of all the descriptions of our relationship to God, this what a privilege this is. Think about friends. Friendship is the only relationship that both parties come voluntarily. You choose your friends. You don't choose your siblings. You don't choose your parents. You don't choose your children. God gives them to you, but friends you choose. You might have some similar hobbies, you might not, but whatever it is, the years of discussion and talking and laughing and stories and history. It's just natural. And so when God is saying, Abraham became a friend of God, it is a picture of Abraham talking daily to God. It is a picture of Abraham checking in with God, on good days talking to God, on difficult days, where he knows the heartbeat of God, and now they are friends. What a privilege that is to call God a friend. And it is friends, the relationship of friends, where they truly enjoy each other. Uh, There was a study done to to figure out how long it takes someone to become good friends, from strangers to friends. And there was a study done by a professor named Jeffrey Hall, a researcher at the University of Kansas and they gathered 335 uh, individuals who were now six months into the dorm. 
So you can imagine, everyone is flying in, first year transfers or whatever, they're coming into college, no one has friends, so everyone wants to become friends. And yet it is at that place they often form lifelong best friends forever. So they wanted to find out, how long does it take for you to now become the best of friends? For you to go from stranger to casual friends to a friend to my best friends, right? So for a stranger to say, this person's my friend, 40 hours of conversation, of interaction, 40 hours. After about 40 hours, say, this is my friend. You would introduce them as, hey, this is my friend. This is my friend, Bobby. Hey, good to meet you. And you would introduce them. And after 40 hours. But if you go up 80 to 100 hours, the casual friend would now become a regular friend. Right? A friend you would have over for dinner. A friend that you would now, now know more things about. A friend you might share life with a little bit more. But to be the best of friends, the most intimate of friends, 200 hours. 200 hours plus of communication it would take for someone to go from stranger to a, a, a friend, a casual friend to friend to best friend. 200 hours. So the more that we are familiar, the more history that we have, the more we get to know one another, we are now somehow bumping them up in our social pecking order that person is my best friend because the only thing that I did was 200 hours. You cannot beat that. You cannot match that. doesn't matter how much of the same interest I have with someone. We could have the same interest. If I don't have 200 hours with that person, they're not my best friend. But someone I may not have any interest with, but boy, if we've had this history, we say, that's my friend. With all their quirks, with all of my flaws, that's my friend. And so, when we read the Apostle Paul writing to be constant in prayer, to pray without ceasing, his goal, I don't think, is to make us more religious Pharisees, but his goal is to say, be best friends with God. Be so intimate with God. Know God. Know everything about Him. Acknowledge God. Enjoy being with God. With a good friend, you enjoy the time together. Even though you've had 200, you cannot add too much to that. And the opposite, the amount of hours I had only makes me want to add more hours. And so when we pray to God, it is not just the formality of going to Him at a certain time in a certain place and saying a certain thing. Of course, there is a part of us that we should approach God with reverence and we should approach God in a, a correct manner. But there also is a casualness that we can become His friends, that Jesus calls us His friends. The value of friendship, especially with God, uh, is so important, and we can see it in our friends today. Uh, this quote from C.S. Lewis, 
and describes the value of friends as friendship is unnecessary like philosophy, like art, like the universe itself. It has no survival value. Rather, it is one of those things which give value to survival. And so, let me encourage you to become friends with God. Don't just make it a formal relationship, a once a week, one hour visitation, but make it a daily friendship. And keep seeking Him's God. God, I need help today. God, thank you for this beautiful day. God, guide me today. God, help me to watch my mouth today. God, help my friend. I'm, I'm meeting this difficult person today. God, give me patience. Today. And go and let God know of all that you're going through. God, these are my trials. You know what's going on at home. You know what's going on with my parents. God, would you help me to love them well? Or would you help me with uh, the things at work? Go to God. And be this kind of friend. You know, uh, I close with this. Uh, illustration that Randy Alcorn gives. Randy Alcorn talks about a visit that he had to Egypt. And in it, he saw uh, on one day two different grave sites as the tour led him. The first one was to go visit uh, King the King Tut exhibit. Right? You could imagine this would be a very popular tourist site for all those going to Egypt. King Tut had died at the young age of 17. And he was buried with solid gold chariots. Solid gold. Um, thousands of gold artifacts. A gold coffin within a gold tomb that was enshrined in another larger tomb. And their belief was that in the afterlife, you would take with you all of your riches. And obviously, so they packed it in. 3,000 years had gone by, and it is still there. Right after, he was taken to go visit a small um, graveyard, a bunch of overgrown uh, weeds and grass, and it was where some American, uh, or rather some missionaries, um, were buried. And one of them was William Borden. William Borden was born to the wealth of his family's riches, the Borden Dairy Company. So you see Borden Milk here still today. He was born in 1887, and he excelled in all that he did. He ended up going to Yale. He was a natural leader. Many people write about him. He was doing very well academically. He excelled in sports. He was on the boxing team. He was involved in yachting track and field, so on and so forth, but he gets a call to be a missionary. And he goes and wants to go into the Muslim parts of China to share the gospel of Christ. So after graduating from Yale, he ends up going to Egypt to go study some language, to study, and so he can go share. And while he is studying there, he contracted spinal meningitis, and he dies at the age of 25. Up to that point, they say he didn't buy himself anything of expense. He is giving so much of his personal money away. And he dies at the age of 25. On his epithet, it ends with this phrase, apart from Christ, apart from faith in Christ, there is no explanation of such 
where the world would go and scratch their head and say, oh, what a waste. Oh, how pitiful this is. Oh, he had so much potential and his life was cut short. Oh, how sad for him. Apart from faith in Christ, there is no explanation for such a life. May your life, your one precious life, may our lives, our one precious lives that we are doing together, may it matter to Christ We don't even think about what matters. We don't even think, why am I doing what I'm doing? But Lord, today we pause. On the second to last Sunday of the year, we just pause and think, how can I live a life that is pleasing, a life that is fulfilling, a life that matters? And so, Lord, we thank you that you give us this kind of hope. You give us, Lord, this kind of patience. Even in trial, you are there. and You give us your presence. You are our friend. So we cling to that today. We want to live somehow like Abraham lived. So would you help us to do that? The same God that he worshipped, the same God he talked to, Lord God, is you. And you are the same. And what a privilege it is for us to call you friend today. Jesus' name we pray. Amen.